Welcome to Younger Older. I'm Dave Wager, your host here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. And today we have the privilege of talking with Jeremy Lundgren, the president of Nicolay Bible Institute. And uh, Nicolay Bible, Jeremy, integrates well with Silver Birch Ranch. And why is it, how does it integrate? What's the purpose of the integration? Uh, it does integrate well, and for a number of reasons. One is that we uh, were in the same place, in the same buildings, uh, eating meals in the same places, and then also because the students are uh, just fundamentally integrated into the ministry of the camp. So uh, the students are students. They spend time in the classroom. They are also uh, busy around the, the whole campus, uh, serving campers, uh, cleaning, cooking, doing all sorts of things like that, uh, kind of working side by side with uh, the faculty here, the staff at Silver Birch Ranch, as well as uh, other people that come to serve, volunteers that come to serve up here. Yeah, you know, for years as a teacher, I've realized one of the, the drawbacks of teaching effectively is that we, we often teach but don't show. Right. So here at Silver Birch Ranch, we get to show while we teach. We get to show how to serve. We get to show how to read the Bible. We get to show how to, all that kind of stuff, because it's a community they're a part of. It is, it is, and so we have opportunities to, um, you know, I think of being in the dish room with, with students together after we've eaten some meals, and so that's one opportunity we have to serve alongside them, and then, yeah, they, they just see us around, they see how we're interacting with our, uh, with our wives, with our children, they see our, our day-to-day comings and goings, and, you know, my desire is obviously for that to be uh, an, an example to them, uh, both in how to do things well, and then how to how to be forgiven, how to move forward when you, uh, when you have a bad day or what, whatever else sure. might, might go on. Well, for years, too, when, it, when a, a student comes and talks to me, they, they describe a dysfunctional family they come from. Yep. And they're saying, well, Dave, you don't understand. I, you know, I, I come from this kind of family. This is all I know. And after they talk to me for a while, I usually just look at them and say, well, why don't you go hang out with somebody who doesn't have a dysfun- dysfunctional family? And, and somehow we've, we've made it sound like everyone does, and they don't. Now, everyone's sinful. I understand that. And we all have our moments where we're idiots. You know, I mean, I understand that. Yes. But not every family is dysfunctional. And, uh, and so to sit there and think, well, every family's dysfunctional like my family. No, go. Why don't you go sit with various generations of families, and you'll see it. You know, my wife and I, we're empty nesters. Our kids are, you know, in their careers. They don't live in the area. Come sit and see what an old couple looks like, you know. You can go and see uh, uh, Jeremy and Casey. You go sit in their house and talk to them. And not every couple is dysfunctional. Yeah, and, and I mean, no family functions perfectly. Right. We, we, can, we can agree on that. But families do function, and some days they function better than others. When you think of a, a dysfunctional family, you think of just what God, at a fundamental level, made the family to be, uh, where, it's a, where there's a home, where there's a mother and father who uh, love each other, uh, love their children, are raising them uh, in the teachings of God, um, those, those sorts of things. And, yeah, you see homes that are not functional in that sense where there's just they're they're broken right and and there's a lot of pain so yes there are are people who come from those sorts of families but then that your your word of encouragement is is go find families where 
they're they're moving forward and that's that's how i think a lot about my family we we aren't perfect if my wife and i could go back in time uh and and change things we would but uh but by the mercy of god he um he redeems our mistakes he loves us he cares for us he cares for my children more than i do and so we you you get back up again in the morning you keep putting one foot in front of the other Uh, you learn how to admit when you're wrong uh, you learn how to forgive others when they're wrong, and that's 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 what a functioning family is. It isn't one that's perfect, and you never need forgiveness. You never need to uh, go back and clean up a mess or reconcile to someone. Uh, those things are there, but a functioning family is one that, uh, right, where you're humble, you recognize your mistakes, uh, you move forward, and so, yeah, I. I I love it when uh, God uses us in those sorts of ways. Uh, Casey and I have seen that in our own lives, in the ways we've ministered to students or even friends and neighbors through the years, uh, where you see people who um, have just seen kind of a normal, functioning Christian family. is uh, It stands out. They're in awe of it. And sometimes, you know, Casey might say, oh, when you know, the, my friend came over and she was just real impressed with how we interact with our kids, the way you were playing with the kids, doing those sorts of things. Right. And, on, you know, on the one hand, I think, well, what, what was so impressive about that? Right. Uh, but it, it's it's those little things, it's those, small, it's those small things that can really stand out. Yeah, and, you know, anyone that's listening, you're, you're really, the story is kind of like if you never saw an elephant and I wanted to show you an elephant, so I brought you to a zoo and blindfolded you and brought you in the elephant cage and put your face up on the elephant and whipped the blindfold off and said, this is an elephant. You know, it, depending on where I put you, it's going to be dark, smelly, gray, right? And you're going to go, get me out of here, right? Well, that's how we grow up. We grow up with our nose against the family elephant. You know, it, th- this is all we know. If you back up a little bit, you know, there's there's people around who actually love marriage. They love what God has created in the idea of family. They try and live in the context of that. And if you haven't been in that situation, you need to go observe it because you need to know that it's doable. It is. It is. And then you need to um, you know, understand the family that God's placed you in and the role that you have in that family and how to, how to make that work. If you know the author, G.K. Chesterton, he talks about uh, the idea of what w- the romantic notion of if you were just randomly dropped into a home somewhere in a big city or, or somewhere in the world and just a random group of people and exploring who those people are, how you would get to know them, how you would relate to them, those sorts of things. <clears throat> and when it's a, a group of strangers, that sounds interesting. That yeah. sounds that sounds like a fun challenge, uh, something to do. But that's what God did when you were born. And that's right. what God did, right, when you got married, wh- wherever you live, whoever you're with is God's put you. And sometimes you look around at the dinner table and you think, who are these people? Who are these people? Um, perhaps that's the case, and uh, or if you get together for Thanksgiving or Christmas with extended family, just the, the different personalities, uh, the, the strange things that people say, that the unique people that they are. Uh, but in some sense, we can think of our family as as an adventure in that sense of okay, these are the people that God's given me to spend my life with. How can I get to know them? How can I appreciate them for who they are? These are the you know if you have siblings, I grew up with. Uh, four other siblings, and those are just the the training field for learning um, responsibility. If you know, if if you mess up, your brothers and sisters are right there to point that That's out. That's right, to, right there to point that Smack out. Smack you down. That's their gift that they yep. give to you. And uh, but you you learn from that. You learn to be consistent in what you're saying. Uh, you learn to 
uh, just just interact with people. You even learn the art of negotiation yeah. uh, when you want the you, you you want the front seat, uh, but you had it on the way there. And how do you get it from your your siblings on yeah. the way home? So you learn to compromise, negotiate with others, and um, you know God just has us in this world uh, with with family to um, well ultimately to 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 love them to love him. And our family is kind of one of the primary places. In a sense, I was going to say, I hesitated because I was going to say that's our training ground. Uh, but it's more than our training ground because it, it's real. It matters. Right. There's, there's no redo on life. Right. Uh, so in a sense, our family trains us for the wider world. Uh, but in another sense, that's that's the most important um, kind of circle of fellowship that we have. Yeah. Well, you can tell I grew up with only another brother. And I said, smack him down. Right. Kind of right. Thing. So yes. all, the, all the ladies that are thinking they got sisters go, how does that comment work? Well, <laughs> you got to grow up with all boys in the family to understand that one. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that um, when I see young people who are confused about something, my first train of thought goes to, well, there are people who aren't confused about what you're confused about. Right. Have you talked to them? No, I hang out with people who are confused as I am. Yeah, how about that? And and there's no solution there. So, you know, a young person that that wants to, uh, they grew up in a family, let's say they just grew up in a family that that is always in debt, always struggling with money, always, always, always talking about money and the, and the strain of money. Right. I didn't grow up that way. Right. I didn't grow up that way. And my wife and I are not that way. We, we, we actually are fine financially. And we haven't always been at a, a very good level as far as income, but we're fine. In fact, I wrote the president of the United States a letter once and said, if you need my help with the budget, my wife could help. Did he get back to you? No, he didn't. <laughs> it, it's just, you know, because to me, there, there, there's a simple side to all this. I know there's a lot of columns in the United States government ledger, I'm sure. But the simple side is you don't spend more than you make. You know, I mean, that that's the simple side. Well, and if you just lop off about six zeros yeah. and the math math becomes a little easier. Yeah. So, you know, the bottom line really is if if you are out there and, and you're thinking, you know, I, I see people talk about the importance of the Bible, but it's not important to me. Yep. I, and you're, you would never say that in church. You're just quietly thinking that. I, I see people talk about the importance of family and loving, but I don't see that in my family. I see that I should be responsible with the resources God's given me, but I'm really not, and I've never seen it. I'm encouraging young people, go find some people who are, and just talk to them. They're, they're not God at all, but there's people that have actually worked through this already in their life, and they might be able to help you if you want help in it. Don't keep going to, it's, it's kind of like when I taught fifth grade, Fifth graders have a way of going to fifth graders and asking for help. It's like they're in the same boat you are. They're not going to help you. Now, Dave, when I was 18 or 19, if I had listened to your advice, my concern is that it would have taken all the adventure out of life. Yeah, true. Because <laughs> because when you're an 18, 19-year-old, uh, th- there's a sense in which you want to figure things out on your own. Yep. Uh, you, you want to push against the world and see how, how exactly it pushes back on you. Uh, so I think there's there's a balance there uh, you know, for you and I as, as teachers, for parents on uh, not only how to uh, you know, be there with with the advice, with the wisdom. But I try to remember what I was like uh, when when I was a a, a teenager and how how you want to figure things out. But 
yeah, there's there's a sense in which we need to listen and get advice from other people, and then go try it. We have to we have to try it on. And so, what what I think is interesting uh, for about the Book of Proverbs, for example, is that the Book of Proverbs tells you here's how to be wise and here's how to be foolish. But then there's another layer in which you need some wisdom in order to apply that wise counsel wisely, right. if that right. makes sense. Right. Uh, so you can take wise counsel and interpret it or apply it in foolish ways. And that's where we need more than just an instruction manual. Uh, and this, you know, in, when you're saying go find people who have figured these things out, it, you're not saying go find a drill sergeant. No. You're not saying go find someone because you can you can pay someone lots of money to say, okay, here's what you're going to oh, yeah, do. I'm not, I'm not even suggesting you, gonna, you yeah. go to somebody and pay them. Well, no, no, yeah. but you can you can find right. people who will tell you exactly what to do, right? And that that does take all of the adventure out of it. That takes all of the the growth out of it. I think uh, young people, God created you to be challenged by things, for you to be in situations where you feel overwhelmed, and then you push through. You find a door that you didn't know was, was there. You find uh, strength within yourself that you you didn't know was there, and you can never know it's there. Uh, theoretically, you can never know it's there. Hypothetically, uh, you have to be in that situation where you're pressed, uh, where where you look around, you figure things out, and then you you grow. And maybe you don't do it perfectly. Uh, maybe you learn from that. And so uh, th- there can be though that that adventure adventure in life of I want to step out, I want to figure things out on my own, uh, but but do it with godly counsel along right. the way. Do it in order to. Uh, save yourself some some pain, some heartache, and to have more more fun, more more adventure, more joy. Uh, it turns out that the um, you know the, the, those challenges that we're looking to to have and those things we want to do, uh, that when we do them uh, in submission to God and when we do them with wisdom, that uh, we we have more fun, uh, we are more encouraged, we grow, we grow more through them. Great. Yeah. Well, while you're talking, I, I was thinking, you know, I think that God made it so that there's always other significant adults that we should have in our life. Yes. For example, we, we grew up with mom and dad, so mom and dad to us aren't that special by the time we're 18. No. You know, there's other people that are cooler, um, perhaps. And, uh, and so I think the church is made that way, where if you're walking with God, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in life, you're, you're somebody that this young person can look to and the parents even know that your guidebook, your principles are coming from the scriptures. You might do it differently than they do it, but yes. the principles are there. And that's where the adventure is, I think you're talking about. Is My dad was really good at this one, one thing where, where he used to say, you know, principles are things you die for. Methods don't even argue about. Right. And, and, and I understood that as a young man. It's like, no, we can challenge your methods. In fact, my dad used to hate the music that we got into. You know, he was a pastor for 100,000 years, and, and he used That's to a just, long time. Yeah, hate, hate the music. Right. But you know what he did? Instead of telling us not to play it, he just waited outside the chapel till it was done. Okay. And then he walked in and spoke. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of like, okay, he understood the method is changing. The music is fine. The method is changing. You're not violating any principles here. However, I hate the music. You, you know, that's a lot easier to take than your music is of the devil. Right, right. So those are two different approaches that I think you need to understand, especially if you're in a position where you're being, you know, like, for example, you go to somebody who's not messed up, let's say, financially. 
What are the principles is what you're looking for. Um, if I look at how my daughters budget, they don't budget like my wife does. She still does it in a notebook with ink. You know, I mean, right, that kind of thing. Certain columns, certain things. Um, I've never even used an ATM machine. I, I, my goal is to never use one. I, I don't even know how. I don't know where they're at. You've, you've held out this long. I've held out this long. To me, that's another method. I'm not against people using it. It's just uh, I've, I've learned to live without it. Dave, when I lived in Kazakhstan, when my wife and I were missionaries there, uh, this was in the early 2000s. Sorry, just nope. I don't know if this is a related story, but there was a uh, ATMs were new uh, to, to banking in Kazakhstan at that time. And in America, you, you line up behind the ATM, you give the person some space so that you're not looking over right. your shoulder uh, to see their pin or anything like that. Uh, well, because ATMs were new, uh, I was waiting to withdraw some cash and there was a, a man in front of me and I could tell he had no idea. Uh, so I was picturing you in that situation. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would he be no, me. He had no idea. I would be saying, come here. I, here's my number. Well, how do you do this? Well, that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't figure it out. And you know, people were crowding around because these were new devices. So right. everyone was just kind of watching each other withdraw the cash. And he couldn't figure out what to do. It's in Russian on the screen. Oh, and man. I, I knew enough to, to sort of know which but buttons to push, what to do. So he gave me his card. I put it in. He told me his pin. I punched it in. <laughs> I said, how much do you want? I, I withdrew the money for him and had handed it there to you him. Go. So that was a fun, a yeah. fun little um, Again, though, you interaction know, with you, you look at life, and, and I have found that that little bit of advice from my dad to di- differentiate between principles and, and methods. Yes. You know, so if I'm teaching a young person, if they come to our house and they say, well, you're not messed up financially, your, your bills are paid, et cetera, what principles can you teach? First of all, I'd let my wife do the teaching, I, you know, right? because I don't know. You know, she makes me give her all the receipts and all that kind of stuff. Now, the, the principles are you should know where the money goes. You should have a plan. I yes. mean, those are the principles. How you do it. I mean, I see my wife, all these young people are going to fall off their chairs when I say this, but I see her. Oh, I need to send one of our daughters money. She gets on the phone. It's gone. She goes, okay, I'm done with that. And I'm thinking, what did you just do? <laughs> but what did you just do? And where did that money come from? She pressed some buttons. Yeah, she pressed and some buttons and it's gone. So went. that's a method. Yes. Uh, how you record it, the, the, the principle of should you live in debt, should you not, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's the, that's what you want to observe is the principles. If somebody gets too much into the methods, I think what you've done is you've put yourself into a position where you're, you're in a controller situation, where in order for them to feel like they have any say at all, you have to do it exactly like they did it. And now you're, you kind of rebel against that when you're young. You yes. rebel against somebody correcting your methods all the time when you agree with their principles, but, but you're angry at their methods. Well, and methods, they, they offer some comfort to us because they, they minimize the, the thinking you have to do. So if you find right. a method that you like uh, or one that works for someone else, and that's maybe you know, what I was talking about earlier about the difference between uh, you know, how, how you apply wisdom. Do you have wisdom and how to, how to use it? And there's a sense in which when you're young, just follow the method that your parents give you, right? If they balance their money in this way and they say, Here, here's a method for doing it, you teach that to them and you're, you're just – you're trained through it. You don't have to think. But as you get older, uh, as, as those principles are hopefully instilled within you, you can realize, oh, there, there are other ways to do this. Um, 
now that I've grown in wisdom, now that I understand the principles, I can apply those principles uh, use, using this method over here or that method over there. And, you know, I, th I think we live in a world, I, I made the joke earlier about how you can find someone to pay, you, you can pay someone to tell you what to do. Right. Uh, and, you know, you have that, you can have a, a personal trainer, you can have a diet coach, you can have a, a financial planner. Uh, so there are lots of areas of our life uh, and they're certainly instances where it's, it's worth paying that money. But sometimes people have a comfort in just having someone else telling me what to do. Right. Uh, but uh, God does call us to uh, think, think about what we're doing. And, uh, um, and could, partly because the world is a dynamic, changing place. And one method might that works over here might not necessarily work over here. And so you have right. to know how to, you know, in, in applying wisdom with wisdom, you need to know how to... Uh, adapt it to those changing circumstances you know plus you have to look at the maturity of the person uh, you know if somebody comes to me and asks for help i need to look at where they're at yes uh, if, if you can give them you know if if i don't know how to add don't start explaining einstein to me and all his theories right you know i mean don't start there no start with one plus one and realize it's going to take me years to want to talk about einstein with you um uh, I, you know i've noticed that all the way for example someone will come to me and say you know, they're, they're really obviously not in God's Word. They may not even have a Bible. What Bible version should I read? Any of them. Yeah, and I'm sitting there thinking, anyone that you would read. I mean, yes. uh, what, uh, my normal question would be, what, what stops you yeah. from reading the Bible? Well, there's all these these and thou's. Okay, all right. Now I know what to suggest, you know. How about the good news for modern man or something, you know, or, or, or the living Bible or... Let's get into something. It, well, all the deep theology. Stop, stop reading Twitter on this. On on what what Bible yeah, translation? Don't, don't do that. Right? You you need to open a Bible and you need to read it, and you need to start getting to know who God is. And and so read one that won't hinder you. But when we're talking about Bible translations, it why are there so many? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know as in the English language, as you know, the King James Version for centuries was just the Bible translation, but language changes over time. Uh, you know, I don't have a good answer for why there, why there are so many. Um, yeah, un un unfortunately, I think that there are a lot, you know, some, some translations have different principles of, tr of translating. And so, and sometimes those are tied to maybe certain theological perspectives or, or ideas about what the Bible is, how, how we should be translated, how we should translate it. So those are some of the reasons why um, I think we live in a world where there's just so many resources at, at hand. And we have lots of publishers who, who can translate the Bible. Uh, there, are, um, you know, there, there are some goofy translations of the Bible where they'll, um, maybe, tra maybe translators will take nuances or features of the Hebrew language or the, or the Greek language and then um, for whatever reasons so, you know depends on who you're talking to whether they are obscuring the meaning of the text or trying to clarify what the, what the text is yep. really meaning so the Bible wasn't written in English no so any Bible that we read in English is translated it is translated and what any translator will tell you is that uh, all translation involves interpretation so translating from Hebrew to English isn't like solving a math equation. Uh, it, Hebrew is a, all languages are dynamic. Uh, the meaning of the words is found in 
uh, in, in their context and how they sit in relation to the other words around them. And so uh, there's, there's some level of interpretation and in how to draw out the meaning of that, uh, of that original text in, into the English. So when somebody says, you know, the Bible is uh, infallible, it says what it says, it's right all the time. Yes. Are they talking about the original or are they talking about the translation? So typically... And is there a difference? Well, there, there is a difference, and, you know, so typically when we talk about the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, the in, inspiration of, of Scripture, uh, theologians will locate that or, or talk about that in relation to the original manuscripts, that what the Apostle Paul wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit, what Isaiah wrote was in, inspired, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to locate the, right, the, the authority is with the original, the original. original writing, um, but... What we don't want to do then is, is limit God's word or become superstitious about it or turn it into a token or something magic as if, uh, you know, some people fall into this thinking of, I, I can find the deeper hidden truth if I'm an expert in, in Hebrew or I, I, can, I can know the truth if I'm a, an expert in Greek. Well, obviously someone needs to be an expert in Hebrew. Someone needs to be an expert in, in Greek in order to translate it. But when you see why God gave his word to us, uh, so that we would be trained, so that we would be yeah. encouraged, so that we would uh, be in a relationship with the living God. Well, knowing Greek or Hebrew isn't going to put you into a, a more powerful relationship with God. Um, and, and so we have to remember the end for which God has given his word, uh, recognize that even through translation, uh, the, the power of his word through his spirit comes through. Uh, you know, A great way that we see that is that when the New Testament authors quote from the Old Testament, they oft, sometimes they'll use maybe their own translations, but they often quote from a Greek translation of the Hebrew. So a translation has already taken place, right. uh, but the New Testament authors, they'll use that translation anyways, and it doesn't take away the truthfulness or the power of the Word of God. Right. In fact, uh, sometimes it, it probably um, hinders the normal person from wanting to read the Bible, because if you go too deep into you know, here's here's what it means 400 years ago, and you stay there all the time. Yes. I mean, when when we talk about God, what are we talking about? I want to I want to know what G O D means from the Bible. Yes. But I live in America. I speak English. Please help me understand it in my language. Um, there was a guy that uh, was a good friend of mine who translated the Bible in Africa. Was translating it. And he and I tried to. I asked him once, "How do you how do you um, reconcile some of these hard passages?" And give me an example of what you go through. He said, "Well, there was two villages, and he was working with Wycliffe on many translations. He was the guy working with all the locals, and and he said in one village the word for Satan is the same word they have in the next village for God. That's Sa- confusing. Same same word. And so he said, what we have to do is figure out." how we can say this. Years ago, we used to ignore the other village because they would never meet anyway. Okay. However, in this world, we've realized that's a mistake because then something gets translated further, and before you know it, this village is using the word God that they use for Satan and Satan for God over there, and now we've got a confused section of the world. So he said, so, so we as translators spend a lot of time trying to figure this out. And um, what we're going to have to do is continue to talk about this so those who are new to us 
You can go to the website on uh, at org. You can get to the um, the podcast there or, or silverbirchranch.org and click on that and you can get this podcast and you can get the next one where we're going to continue to talk about Bible translations and getting into the Bible and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm Dave Wager. I'm here with Jeremy Lundgren, the president of Nicolay Bible Institute. Thanks for spending time with us. Goodbye for now. <laughs>